0: Brotherly love on the longest day, and it all just fades away. It's Rhyme and Reason 466. There's reason for your There's reason why you're here. Hey there, Tony here again. And as I'm putting all this together, it is summer solstice time. And you know what that means. It's the longest daylight day of the year. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times at this time of year, I like to say, well, the days are all going to start getting shorter, and everybody goes, oh, come on, get it, don't be, and they don't like it. So I'm not doing that this year. Oh, wait a minute. I just did get, kind of, didn't I? (laughs) Okay. I know you're probably out right now frantically buying your last minute solstice gifts and your solstice tree and all your yummy solstice treats, but I want you to relax because well, it's the longest day, so you'll have plenty of time to pause and listen to my story of brotherly love that faded away. Sounds fun, right? Okay, who's, who's ready? Let's get going. Who wants to hear about fading brotherly love on the first day of summer? Ready? Are you ready? Probably nobody, right? Nobody's ready. Okay, I'll just get this out of my head and, and then I'll move on. As though it never happened, does that sound good? Okay. Great. Well, it all started several decades ago. I was born. No, no, no. It all started several decades ago. It truly did. My parents split up when I was only about four and my brother was only about two and a half. And both my parents remarried and eventually moved two large states apart. We all kind of got started As a family, more or less, both my parents were from Oklahoma. That's where they met. And, you know, as much as um, I don't really have any other connection with Oklahoma, certainly don't know anybody worth knowing in Oklahoma. Anyway, um, as much as there's all of that, my dad moved to Texas, and my mom moved to Kansas. And when my brother and I were old enough, we'd be put on a train in Houston at the end of each school year, and we'd make the approximately 18, 19-hour ride to Kansas City. And there we'd meet Mom, and we'd stay in Kansas for the summer. And then she'd put us on the train around Labor Day, and we'd return to Texas to go to school again. So the only person that I saw year-round was my little brother. And I remember each time a parent would put us on the train, there'd be all the tears and heartache, you know, at least when we were smaller. I mean, it's kind of heart-wrenching to be, you know, have to leave a parent behind you've just been living with for months. And um, anyway, they put us on the train. Somebody would say, watch out for your brother. Or watch out for your little brother. And that wasn't easy because my little brother could be quite a little mischief maker. But I'd do my best. I mean, you know, after all, I was a kid too. And somehow we always made it to our destination safely. And later found out that porters and and, um, other guys on the train were told to watch over us or after us or whatever you want to say. As the years passed... And as my little brother and I became teenagers, those train trips became routine and fun. Twice a year, we're riding the train, and we got to know the train real well. The Santa Fe Big Chief. Now, I still remember those real silver utensils. This was real silver, not stainless steel. This was real silver utensils that they used on white cotton tablecloths in the dining car. It seemed like dinner was always... Well, usually somewhere around Oklahoma City. There was always a long stop there. I remember oftentimes the train was stopped on a bridge and we could kind of look down into the city. It's, I don't know, just one of those memories. I remember a porter would come through each car wearing his starched white jacket and he'd ring a dinner bell, and he'd say in a deep voice, dinner is served. And then we'd get up and we'd go back and uh, you know, have our dinner in the dining car. It was kind of part of the ticket, I guess. Well, anyway, uh, after my junior year in high school, my dad agreed to let me drive us to Kansas in the first car that I bought with money I made as a grocery sacker or a carryout guy. My uh, car was a $265, that was with all the tax and everything, 1965 Plymouth Fury, And it was a Fury 1, but it had a Fury 2 engine, a 363 cubic inch engine, raw horsepower, let me tell you. And I later found out it had been a cop car for a while. I found that out after I discovered some bullets behind the glove compartment when I was working back there. Anyway, I can remember Dad took me to the side and said, Watch out for your brother. Drive the speed limit and check your oil every time you fill up. And there it was, even then. Watch out for your brother. And then, in a flash, or seems like anyway now, school years came to an end, and my little brother and I were out on our own. And I recall for a brief time, we lived in the same apartment complex in Houston, Texas. And our apartments were in separate buildings, but not that far apart. And one day I went to his place for one reason or another, I don't, even, don't remember what it was. I'm, We got into a heated discussion about something. I don't even remember what that was either. But I remembered something, uh, and it was in brotherly love. Something led me to say, hey, I'm just trying to watch out for my little brother. And he yelled back at me. He was furious about that. I'm not your little brother. So I had to adjust my thinking, and I never called him that again. But there were plenty of times when I still tried to watch out for him, And every single one of those times turned into something awful, without fail. And he and I even started out our full-time professional musician careers together. We were a popular duo in the Houston area for a couple of years. But even that went sour to an increasingly apparent difference in our worldviews. Now, eventually, after moving to different areas and my marriage and his marriages... I discovered my little brother was some sort of Unitarian, Universalist, metaphysical, new thought kind of guy, just about as far away from Christianity as you can get. And I also discovered what disdain he had for my Christian faith and Christians in general, even though he preached tolerance and diversity. Our brotherly relationship decayed completely to the point of one evening in my house, We were debating some issues, and the discussion reached a boiling point, and my little brother dropped some F-bombs against Jesus and God, and I won't say what they are, just know, you know, it wasn't good. And I told him he'd have to leave the next day and not darken my door again. Now, I know, and I think he somewhere inside knows, ideas and words have meaning and consequences, and so from that moment on, my little brother actually disowned all his family. I guess he figured if he if he ever visited me, he'd have to darken my door. So his interpretation of what I said was probably more like, I never want to see you again. And those weren't the words that I said. So to this day, he won't even let even his own mom know where he is or his phone number. And the last email conversation I had with him, was over two years ago when he told me he's afraid of me because I had tried three times to see him during some trips to Florida, which is where I knew was uh, the last place I'd contacted him or he had contacted me from. And each time, he couldn't make it for one reason or another. And finally, he shared one time, I just checked in with myself and I realized I'm afraid of you. And then he went with a bunch of other junk, and I said, okay, that's it. I won't bug anymore. So why did I share all this? Well, because as I started putting all this together, uh, it was on his birthday. The longest day of the year has been on his birthday, and I'm almost certain he's still playing the victim somewhere. He's most likely convinced that uh, his brothers and sister and mother only want to brainwash him with Christianity because— You know, we're just unenlightened fools who believe there is a God and we're not God and that eternal life is only provided through Jesus. And we just won't shut up and let him go to hell peacefully. Of course, he believes everything is, everything is part of the God force. So there's no hell. So we're just unfit for contact, I guess. The brotherly love I always felt for him, that never left. But I know he did. He left. He left. And he's apparently happy with his choice to disown his family. And nothing I can say to him will ever change his mind. I'm pretty much convinced of that because there have been years and years of saying things and it never has. So there's a good chance I'll never see him ever again. Not now and not through eternity. And he'll never know how sorry I am that my little brother will exist forever in solitary solitude. And I hope I'm wrong on that. Truth is hate to those who hate the truth, and lies can be so enticing. Life, here and now, isn't all there is. So, know what you're sacrificing. That's it for this episode, and till next time, remember, life has rhyme and reason because God made you. Desert.